eight, nine, ten minutes long. <laughs> and that means that you can get more trouble per cigarette than you ever did. Now, uh, ours is not to, uh, to uh, editorialize here, but now here's the things that science are bringing out. A little tiny note way at the back of the that famous newspaper and uh, on page 7,922. And I think this is the first little note that might score with cigarette smokers. Because all the other things they've been warning you about with cigarettes have been abstract. Uh, just it, 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 you, Have you noticed that almost all the dangers that they've warned you about in cigarettes seem to apply to oh, uh, older people? You know, people who, uh, well, you know, what the heck. But listen to this one. Physicians in Soviet, as a result of definitive investigation, now warns, would you please prepare me that serious music over on cut to way over on the other side, that the important music. Got it all set up in there? Is it all set down? You ready to go? I'll give you the cue here. Physicians in Soviet warn that nicotine... <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready, gang? Are you ready? <laughs> Physicians in Soviet Union warns that nicotine <laughs> causes causes impotence. Bring it up big, down all the way. <laughs> to you, I read to you, direct from the Associated Press, a respected Soviet scientist says nicotine can deaden one's sex life. Writing in the magazine Science and Life, a highly respected scientific journal of the Soviet Union, Dr. Ilya Polminsky warned that experiments have showed nicotine causes harm to the sex centers and one of the chief causes of impotence now among men in the Soviet Union. That physician advised impotent men to stop smoking, stop drinking, and get plenty of sleep, and then stand back. Gee, what's that going to do to them Marlboro men? I've always had a little... Holy smokes, you know, I've always suspected... <laughs> I better not. I better hear. When, in, when in doubt, play your... My mother always used to say, when in doubt, play your bazoo. You notice that that appeared on page 7,922 in the, in the paper? Because I have a suspicion that that one note about... <laughs> oh, man, I think that could score. Do you agree with me, Don? You tell people about that one? Well, uh, I just brought it to you. I didn't invent it. Don't get mad at me. I didn't invent it. You know, I wonder I wonder why... You know, Have you noticed that so many of the novels lately... Hello, Mario. Is that Mario in there? Drink it again. How are you, Mario? That's very good. You just keep your flaps down and keep your... Nose down, you speed up, man. You'll be all right. Just just keep an eye on that tack, and you'll be okay. Stop looking at the birds out the window and keep your eye on the meters. Okay, man? Very good. 
<laughs> you know, I can imagine one of life's more interesting moments is to find yourself halfway down the runway, and you're, you're, you're just touching down, and you discover that you have not put your gear down. That must be one of life's more fascinating moments. And it has happened to several people that I know of. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. In fact, did I ever tell you about the guy that, down in, uh, I believe it was Pensacola, uh, speaking of great moments in, in uh, American flight, uh, a guy down in Pensacola who uh, was flying out of Pensacola, Navy flyer, and it's a famous story, and incidentally, I also saw the regulation that came out on it, and I also saw the Navy accident report on it not long after it happened. It was one of the fantastic moments in flight. Uh, this guy was flying off the field in Pensacola, and he had come in off a carrier. And uh, they had flown in to the land. You know, most carrier pilots fly generally to carriers, you know, from carrier to carrier. They don't do much uh, land flying. And this guy had come into the field of Pensacola with his squadron. And uh, they were all out there in the ready line. All these planes were lined up. And uh, it was late at night. And uh, he came out, and he was going to go up for some reason or other. And he get, get, gets into his airplane on the ready line. And he taxis out. And they're trying to get him on the on the, uh, on the VHF. See, the tower is talking to him. And for some reason or other, he has the VHF turned off. So he gets his clearance. So he's down there. And blah, 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 blah. And I, I think it was an F6F or something. See? And she starts to chop in the air, and he goes barreling down the runway, and he hauls back on that stick, and she leaps up into the air, and it is 225 feet off the ground before he discovered that his wings were folded. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. He is 225 feet off the ground when he suddenly discovered his wings were still folded up. And he, fig you know, he figured, well, you know, maybe the way the funny crosswind, he knew he was having a strange takeoff. He just knew that the plane was a little sluggish, you know. And he got her up in the air, and he was flying out. They said he was in the pattern fine. Everything was going on. He was making a very fine, t he was, you know, a good getaway. And it was at 225 feet that he discovered that his wings were folded up, and only then did he come down. Now, the theory was promulgated throughout the Navy. Had he not discovered that the wings were folded up, he could have made it all the way to Chicago. That coming down on your bazinko is largely a matter of your attitude. <laughs> and he, yeah, he's going along fine. He was going up there, you know, and he passed a couple of birds on the way up, and he looked out, and he said, gee, it's an awful, wonder what that big thing is out there, you know. And he suddenly realized that big thing that was cutting out the moon was his wing. And the minute he discovered that, he went, oh! and down she went, oh! right down on the bottom, you know, she bounced along. <laughs> and and uh, I, the, the happy note, for those of you who are interested in happy notes, he survived. He survived. He survived. Of course, he got a couple of demerits. Oh, they gigged him on that one. You get gigged a little bit, you know, when you take off with your wings folded up. Now, now uh, there, <laughs> there are other stories. You want to hear some more stories about that? I, I, I know a story about a guy in a carrier. Interesting thing about a guy in a carrier. Well, this guy comes down in a carrier one day. You, you like flying stories? Well, uh, one of my buddies who's a you know carrier pilot, and he's flown off about 19 of the major uh, attack carriers and so on, so he's got a million carrier stories. I'm telling you about one day, this buddy is in the carrier. He comes down, sees the carrier there, and uh, he's circling around up in the clouds there, seeing he's uh, running a little low on gas. And uh, so he looks around, he finds a couple of his squadron buddies are not with him. See, they're gone, and he figures, well, these guys uh, 
spun off on me, and they're off on their own. And this is in the Pacific. And so, he decides, he takes a look at the gauge, you know, and he's got about a quarter tank, so he figures maybe he better come down. He looks down, he sees the carrier down there, see? So he goes, and he gets down. He comes down into the approach, you see. He's laying down in the approach, and he comes up over the fan tail, see? And he's up there, and there's this fantastic look on the landing officer's face. He sees this landing officer there on the fan tail, you know, with the two big yellow and the red flag, you know, and this guy's mouth is hanging open, see? Big mouth just hanging right open. He wonders, what's the matter here, my gear? He checks his gear, see? His gear is down, everything's cool. He checks the tail, the tail hook, everything, and he He's flying in, wow! And so the landing officer sees this guy coming in, say, so he begins to see, he's giving him the signal, you know, come on, up a little bit higher there, up, up, bring the left wing up, you know, bring the left wing up, down with the right wing, down with the right, cool, cool, you know, he's crossing the flags, okay, cut it, and he goes, wow, wow, and he cuts the thing, pulls the flaps on, he looks around, you know, and he's, what a landing, he, you know, he came in, one of the best carrier landings ever made. The only thing that was wrong, it was on a carrier called the Kagana, happened to be a Japanese carrier. He looks around and about 45 Japanese taking pictures. <laughs> well, he says, he says there was this fantastic moment of fear. All of a sudden, he flew his plane down to the carrier. So, so he says the only thing he could think of at that moment was to hit the throttle. And he hits the throttle. And up he goes. And he says the last thing he could see behind it was 45 Japanese running around on the flight deck. And they're yelling at the flight deck officer, you know, for giving this guy the right signal. If he just signal him in a low, you know, he'd have... <laughs> and he says, wow, this guy took off the carrier and he flew it. And he says, and the worst part of it was, he says, that he didn't tell anybody about this thing for over a month. I mean, how are you going to tell, you know, how are you going to tell your CEO, you know, I had this terrible thing. I was flying around and I... Decided they needed a little gas, and so I landed on this Japanese carrier, and they didn't have the kind of gas I wanted. You know, they were carrying the shell there, and I always use SO on my plane, you know. I had to take off. And he says, and so one night they're sitting around the ready room, see, and this guy's sitting there, and, and he says, he's been acting kind of funny for about a month. You know, they're very quiet. He said, I wonder what was the matter. What's the matter? Is Charlie getting, you know, the, is the combat getting to him or what, you know? And he's sitting around the ready room one night, and, and they're all by themselves. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and they're weathered in. They're socked in. There's no flying, you know, and, they, and the carrier's going up and down. And uh, they're sitting there, and the squawk box is going off once in a while. And uh, finally, my friend says to him, uh, Fred, what's eating you, you know? I mean, is there any trouble? And Fred looked at him long and hard and said, Wayne, i got to tell somebody. It's been eating at me every night. I go to bed. And I go up on the flights, and he says, i got to tell somebody. I landed on the Kagana. Well, the Kagana was this, it's like saying, you know, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a kamikaze pilot telling he landed and got a little refueling job on the uh, Yorktown, you know. And he says, I landed on the Kagana. And Wayne says, you did what? He says, no. Do you remember the other day when we went out on this photo recon thing, and uh, we were ex-coordinates times Y, and, and uh, I was flying wing to Harold and and, uh, and he says yes I remember that day and you came back about 20 minutes late and everyone thought you'd been lost he says yes that was the day well I actually was lost and uh, I didn't go down to sea I I landed on this Japanese carrier and I know that I've had over two years of, of naval ship identification. They they drilled it in my mind. What a Japanese... He said, I didn't even think of it. I just landed on a carrier. And the first thing that I noticed was that this guy, the landing officer, had slant eyes. 
And uh, he said, I figured, you know, maybe drinking the night before. He said, but then... <laughs> and so deep down inside the heart of all of us, there are all kinds of sordid secrets. Uh, oh, gee, I'm sorry uh, to, to report here. We've just gotten a note from one of our uh, spies. There is a, was a report on Channel 4 News last night that Secaucus has seceded from Hudson County. They split. And uh, Bergen is really bugged. Bergen County is really bugged because I, oh, don't worry. You let me tell my jokes my way, honey. That's the worst part of an amateur joke teller. They, <laughs> they just thought, oh, don't go down the funny line. Go ahead with <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. It's all right. Uh, you learn. You just listen for a while. You learn a few tricks. And nevertheless, there was a report on Channel 4 News last night that Secaucus has conceded from Hudson County. Is there any resident of Secaucus out there listening to us tonight? And uh, how's the mood of the community now that they're a free state? Uh... Is this a free city like Danzig or uh, Amsterdam or someplace like that? Now, now that Secaucus has succeeded, seceded, excuse me, from uh, Hudson County, now they're at loose ends, and there is a report that they want to join New York State. Oh boy! Holy smokes! Not that Lindsay has enough trouble now. I mean, with Secaucus all of a sudden hooking itself like a barnacle on the side of New York, that's going to be really something, you know? Well, <laughs> well, all those pigs and all that stuff. Now, listen, I would like to talk to tonight, before the end of the show, if a, if a resident of Secaucus can give us a call, there's a Secaucus guy out there. I understand there are three people over there who have radios, and there was a book sold in Secaucus last week. That I know. I saw, yes, I got the royalty report. One book was sold in Secaucus last week. And it was my book, and that's kind of surprised me. And it was under the counter, I might add, in a cigar store over there. Which reminds me, speaking of cigar stores, this is WOR, friends, at the Radio Free Broadway here. And uh, this is me. And uh, there's a kind of euphoria and yet a kind of a peculiar quality in the air. Have you noticed that after the election is over now? And uh, it's just uh, sort of hanging there. I'll tell you one thing. Uh... And I must say this, I'm, I'm, I'm about to eat crow, okay? I've got to eat a little crow here. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I have a whole library of tapes of shows that I've done, you know, various things I've done in the past. And uh, do you know that, that uh, about, uh, well, it was about two years ago, I was at the Limelight. You may remember this show. And uh, I was doing a bit on, uh, you know, a whole dramatic thing was kind of a Hamlet, uh, seen through the glass darkly, if you can imagine Hamlet as performed by uh, uh, oh, uh, the middle one of the Three Stooges, and uh, you know that, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I uh, was doing this thing on great losers of all time, dynamic losers, and, uh, and guess who was the... Uh, the hero of the piece that night was was Richard Nixon. Now, you know, I said, the great losers of, the, of all time. And uh, by George, you know, that, that's, that there's a lesson in that for all of us, friends. A real bad, strong, and you got to remember, these are the things that make life uh, uh, always unpredictable. And, and uh, it's filled with pitfalls. It's filled with all kinds of dangerous traps. Be careful who you laugh at. That's all I got to say. 
fact, I remember one time I, in this radio station. I'm, you know, I'm just a kid. I got a job in the summertime working in a radio station, and uh, I joined this station, and I was in awe of everybody. Uh, everybody. I'll, I'll tell you, it was. Uh, I was so impressed by the fact that uh, oh, they had microphones and everything there, and I, I was very impressed by the whole scene, and I, I was very quiet. And uh, I would go into the lounge where the quote talent would gather and, and look at the uh, the official talent with the with a kind of a you know awe, you know, it's just a, a kind of a, a nimbus of uh, of magic around them. And uh, there was one guy on the, the the announcing staff, a little short, fat, round guy, and he's the worst announcer in the Western world. He had a voice like a uh, well, like a leaky balloon. It was a, you know, high, thin, squeaky voice, and uh, everybody on the staff laughed at him all the time. He's kind of a joke. Well, holy smokes! It was it was about two years later. I, I it was a terrible shock. I'm in New York City by now. See, two years later, I walk into this tremendous network, and uh, I'm looking for a job. You know, I got my hat in my hand. I'm looking embarrassed. And I'm finally brought into the presence of this great man. He's way up on the 423rd floor of the RCA building, that kind of thing. And who was sitting behind the desk? Just a little short, fat, round guy with a voice like a squeaky balloon. That's right. I, thought, I said, oh, gee, I thought your name was familiar, but I then I stuck my foot in it. I says, I didn't think it could be possible. It was the same one. He says, well, it is. Leave your name with the girl at the desk. We'll call you. Don't call us. Bum, ba-dum, bum. I learned early. I learned early. And I learned well. Would you hit the beer button, please? When you're out for the evening and want to know who the real beer drinker is, look for the clear, distinctive bottle of Miller High Life. He's over there under the table. That's the man who wants his beer hearty, robust, deep down good. And he never settles for second best. That's why... Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee. Yeah, very good. And uh, he'll have to wait till I finish the commercials. Oh, here, here's another commercial I've got here, friends. Uh, oh, yeah, it's about that magazine, New York. It's not the New Yorker we're talking about. We're talking about New York. And uh, you got a note here. It says, uh, you know, I haven't, uh, to be honest with you, I have not read it yet. Have you read New York? It's been around. In fact, uh, oddly enough, I had a, a query here uh, a couple of weeks ago to write something for them. But uh, I haven't done anything about it yet. Uh, but nevertheless, New York Magazine, Gloria Steinem, my old buddy, writes a piece about Jim Brown, the ex-football player. <laughs> That's so typical of Gloria. 
But uh, nevertheless, this is in the New York Magazine. It's a good magazine. It's our hometown's magazine, it says. And uh, they're on the newsstand right now. And, uh, oh, we have one more commercial. Hit the, hit the ding-dong, please. Oh, this is Tell a matter of an island, an unheard of island where you can gaze past the cannon of old Fort Amsterdam to crescent coves of silver sand where pirates once buried their plunder. An island with trim gable cottages surrounded by lilies and bougainvillea bloom. An unheard of island where, for a guild or two, you can dine on ristaffle, plumbe lobster, and copper berry rum. An island where marlin, wahoo, bonito, and grinning dolphins lure you to the sea, and fabulous coral gardens grow five fathoms down. An unheard of island, half Dutch, half French, called St. Martin. I know an airline that would lead you here. BWIA. Call your travel man. Or BWIA. And come to an unheard of island this winter. On BWIA. The unheard of airline. Hey, listen. Uh, gee, I'd never heard that spot. It just showed up here all of a sudden. That's a British West Indies airline, huh? Biwa. Uh... He was talking. Now, <laughs> you, you, you have to... Would you reset that now? Now, now I'm going to explain something about that spot. Uh, just don't, don't, don't touch it. Just get that speech in there. Uh, that island, and this is not part of the commercial, so don't, don't be sitting back there logging. I'm just, uh, just thinking about something in connection with that spot. He was talking about St. Martin, which is one of the wildest islands. Uh, down in the uh, Caribbean, I'll tell you, it's a it's a strange island. And uh, the voice, as soon as he came on there, it hit a bell with me. Now that is the dialect of that island that he's speaking. It's half British and half Dutch. It's a strange, wild combination. Listen to that. Listen to his dialect. Listen to this guy. They tell the tale of an island, an unheard of island where you can gaze past the camp of old Fort Amsterdam to crescent coves of silver sand. Silver sand. Pirates once buried their plunder. Plunder. An island with trim gable cottages surrounded cottages. by lilies and bougainvillea bloom. Bougainvillea bloom. An unheard of island where, for a guild or two, you can dine on wrist apple, plum lobster, and copper berry rum. Isn't that a great an island? Where Marlin, Wahoo, Bonito, and women dogs lure you to the sea, and fabulous coral gardens grow five fathoms. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, that, uh, that's the the dialect of that island. It's very authentic, and the band back of it is the sound of the kind of music you hear on that island. And uh, gee, it's a. Uh, I bet I'll bet listening. Yeah, you know, I had to listen very carefully to understand him. And. Uh, I, at first, when he came on, it hit me. I had never heard the, the the spot before. And I thought, why have I heard that? I really have this kind of a talk. And uh, it's a very strange talk. And uh, they go, they roar like this. They say, oh, uh, St. Martin's. And it's a, a, cr- a crazy combination of Dutch and English. And St. Martin. Oh, you got a Secaucus native? Oh, okay, fine. All right, it's a 349. Is it 349? Yeah, Hello? Yeah, are you there, man? You're in Secaucus? Oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, Is it okay? You have seceded? Uh, Secaucus has seceded. 
I see. The people have voted to secede from uh, from uh, Hudson County. Oh, well, gee. Uh, by a margin of 8 to 1, there's a lot of soreheads over there. Yeah, but just think how you've hurt Hudson County's feelings after all these years. They've been so nice, the Secaucus. I see. Well, I, I would say I've been in Secaucus. It's probably a disagreement on both sides. <laughs> yeah. But now, now, wait a minute. Now, I'm not interested in a plug for Secaucus. That's, your, that's an uphill fight, friend. Uh well, um, uh, what I would like to ask you now that you've seceded, uh, uh, I, I know, but you're planning to secede. Uh, you've taken the vote that you're about to secede. Now, I see. I see. <laughs> well, well, now, wait a minute now, just a minute now. May I, may I speak for a minute? Okay, thank you. What I'd like, <laughs> what I, that's the typical jersey, but what I would like to, uh, uh, ask you is uh, has uh, Secaucus decided on its uh, you know national flag or anything yet? I mean, if uh, say providing uh, Bergen County with a sigh of relief or Hudson County with a sigh of relief says go if you're going to be like that. I mean, you know, you've got to. Are you going to have a colorful national costume? Well, I, well, uh, of course, uh, knowing Secaucus, you already do have a colorful national costume. It's that yellow T-shirt that says WMCA good guy. You know? Oh, I see. Yes, there are concrete Mexicans there. Yeah, and you got I, uh, one thing I like about this. Yes, it's very nice. It's just beautiful. Yes, it certainly is one of the best in Hudson County. They're going to be sorry to lose the caucus. Yes. Well, okay. Thank you very much. Oh, isn't that sad? Well. I have a feeling that a guy whose hometown is hell would say, uh, you know, he, if, you, if you ask him about it, he'd say it's a nice little place. There's a lot of bad uh, information out about it. But uh, <laughs> I just thought you ought to know that's no gag uh, that uh, Secaucus has seceded now, or at least it's voted to secede, and now it's up to Bergen County to cast them adrift. No, Hudson County. I'm sorry. It's up to Hudson County to cast them adrift, and there is a rumor that they would like to attach themselves to New York State. And uh, New York is a little alarmed, but uh, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, there it is. Of course, you know, things are happening like that and all over that. Think of the fantastic precedent that could be. I mean, uh, it could set. Now, now, take, for example, Indianapolis. You know, Indianapolis is always fighting Indiana. It's, just a, it's right in the middle of Indiana there, and, and uh, there's a lot of bad blood between the Indiana natives and the Indianapolis. Always, constantly going on, and and one day it can happen if this is allowed to occur. You know, the secession movement over there in Secaucus. If the word gets out, Indianapolis votes to secede from Indiana. It's always wanted to be in California, and uh, <laughs> you know. And the next thing you know, you know, they was telling what you may have. You may have a free state somewhere. You know. Of course, this is a thing that Lincoln fought years ago, so we won't go into that. But nevertheless. Uh, a lot of things are happening around today with uh, Mr. Nixon now uh, in, uh, getting in training for the White House. I noticed that already the first, uh, the first demonstrations anti-Nixon have broken out. He hasn't even gotten in, you know. <laughs> these, are, these are parlous times. It, uh, it's just, uh, just going all that way, and I think that uh, there's a lot of things in the wind. Now, uh, a couple of nights ago, I don't know whether you saw this in the... In the news, it's been in the Times, 
although the Times treated it very discreetly. They put it back on the page, you know, where they have that weather map. You know, that's one of the more exciting pages. They have all those isobars and occluded fronts and stuff and a few little ads for uh, trusses and things like that. And way down at the bottom, they threw this little significant piece in the paper there. It's in the Times. Well, there, of course, it appeared in other newspapers, depending on the type of newspaper, in the larger or smaller type of uh, treatment. And the, in one of the newspapers, I'll, I'll give it to you just the way it came out. It's uh, AP, uh, Release, Palm Desert, California. Did you hear about that? All right, listen carefully. Without warning, a stag film flashed across on home television screens in four Coachella Valley Resort communities. This uh, shocking movie, and I'm quoting the uh, reviewer here, I don't know whether he saw it or not, but it says this shocking movie, early Sunday, lasted some 15 minutes, and uh, according to some authorities. <laughs> authorities didn't know how many people saw it, but a lot of them called the police. Well, I don't know why they call the cops on that. It's just, you know, there it is. But anyway, in nearby Palm Springs, police received between 30 and 40 calls. And they uh, quoted the cop there, the sergeant at the desk. He was getting all the calls. He said, well, there was no no particular bitterness about it. They just wanted to tell us and confirm that they had seen this. They thought it was a good show. Well, uh, <laughs> the show was last was seen in the fashionable desert resort communities of Palm Springs, Rancho Mirage, Indian Wells, and Palm Desert. It was 1 a.m., and the unscheduled film started rolling when the channel of one of Palm Desert's two area stations was to end its telecasting day. You know, usually what comes on is the, you know, it's a, you know, da, da, dee, 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 this little five-minute thing by the Reverend Afernathy, and then on comes the Marines. You know, the little one-minute thing there with the Marines and the jet planes flying. It's America, the beautiful. And uh, so, so instead, before signing off, suddenly, without any warning... Out comes this fantastic 15-minute stag film with cavorting nudists, and it was highly uninhibited. <laughs> Chuck Jenkins, chief engineer of the television station, said that he had he had determined that somebody had tapped into the cable. Oh, yeah. He said that the film apparently was shown in this way by someone with some very sophisticated electronics equipment. Jenkins said that his firm's equipment was not used, of course. It's a cable setup out there, and they have about 10,000 subscribers. The FBI is now going to check on whether any federal laws were broken. Authorities said that they have no clues as to the person responsible for this show. We would like to salute that person out there. Would you please do this? Yeah, that's <laughs> it. I don't know why I did that. Yeah. Can't you just see the scene? All right, hold on. I have to do something else. Can't you just see how this scene? Can't you see it now? These nice people sitting out there in front of their television set. This, uh, you know, this kind of elderly man and his wife, Clara. And they're dozing off. The last right guard commercial comes on. That the old Charles gets up to turn the TV set off because this is the time that the Star Spangled Banner usually comes on the screen. And all of a sudden, there's a flickering light. And there, before his very eyes, is a lady known as Lil, who is no better than she should be, and dressed 
for very hot weather. <laughs> and his wife barely wakes up when she sees this. Mrs. Uh, they have an extra picture on tonight, Clara. And Clara opens her eyes and looks, so oh, for heaven's sakes. It's one of them Swedish pictures. It's an art film. <laughs> hey, listen, we just got a call from Hudson County here, and we're going to get the report on how Hudson County feels about this caucus secession. Hello there. Yeah. You're a citizen of Hudson County, and uh, how do you feel about this terrible thing that Secaucus has done? You've been trying to flip Secaucus for how many years? About 50 years, and finally they got bugged and they did it themselves, huh? Oh, you don't have to say any more, because we get it when it comes from the East. I mean, Secaucus is doing this little bit here to add to the atmosphere of the, you know, our neighborhood here. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of fist fights on Saturday night there, too. I know that. Guy named Charlie, there's a place named Charlie's Barn Grill over there. It's wild, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, uh, you say that as a Hudson County resident that uh, you are viewing the secession of Secaucus with mixed feelings. Oh, you're, you're definite on it, eh? Well, yeah, but think of poor Bergen County. Well, Bergen County is very innocent in this, you know. They're just walking along, and all of a sudden, Secaucus is hooking itself on the side of it like a barnacle. Yeah, well, <laughs> well I, I got to say one thing. Of course, Secaucus is kind of a nice town in a lot of ways. It's kind of built around a giant two guys from Harrison store, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can see Secaucus clearly from the deck of the flagship on Route 22. Yeah, I know that. Well, I don't blame them. Hang in there, man. Right. <laughs> oh, I don't know. This is not a telephone show, but this you know, just sort of developed. But you know that thing, if I may, if I may, uh, uh, saluting this guy to put the stag film on out there. You know, it's funny now, they're, they're making a big issue of this. But I'm going to tell you a, a true story, which uh, I, I uh, once told, and I some time ago, and I told it on the air right here on the same microphone. And about 20 minutes after I told it, I got a call from the guy that was involved, who happened to be in town and heard it. Just one of those coincidences. But uh, one night, and I'm going to tell you a little story. You know, when you read these these. Uh, these things in the TV guide and that about great bloopers on television and stuff, they, they're, they're always the same thing about the announcer who said something he didn't think he was going to say and so on. But uh, let me tell you one of the... Uh, most of the great ones have never been written up. And I'll tell you one of the great ones I've seen. I was right there. I was right in the studio when this happened. It was late at night. And it was in a tremendous television station. I mean, a big one. It had about 500 different departments, and it covered a full block. And they had they had remote units that would even go out from the remote units. You know, they had, you know, it was fantastic. You, you couldn't do a show on that station without maybe 30 or 40 cameras and rehearsals. And they had bands and singers and everything, you know, the whole business. And every night they had this film. Oh, come on. You know, like the Late Late Show and the... Uh, they they uh, they would go through cycles, as you know. Uh, if you watch the late late films here in town, they go through cycles. Like there would be a Deanna Durbin cycle, 
And for about three nights, you'll see nothing but Deanna Durbin movies with Jose Iturbi playing a piano made out of mirrors and that kind of stuff. <laughs> or there'll be a uh, uh, there'll be a brief uh, James Gleason uh, cycle where he's always playing the coach, or he's playing a jockey's manager, some cockamamie thing like that. See, well, well, we were going through a cycle of of movies by Eddie Arnold. Now, <laughs> I don't know whether you've ever seen an Eddie Arnold movie, friends, but this is the kind of thing that really makes you, you know, it, it, it uh, draws your attention uh, like, like some kind of a hooded cobra. And you watch it. And uh, you know who Eddie Arnold is? You know the hillbilly singer? The country western singer? I wish I could tell you what those singers call their kind of music. You know, uh, the last word is kicking. The first word has been excised by me. <laughs> but that they call that blank kicking music. And, uh, in fact, there's a song around uh, one of the commercials uh, where there's this chick, a phony type folk singer, you know, uh, a city billy type, and she says, "Here I am kicking pebbles." That's not exactly what it means. Oh, we got a later report. It says that it was the chief engineer who showed the movie. He was fired. By the way, a viewer called the station and asked when that great wrestling movie would be shown again. <laughs> well, I, 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 I want to I want to tell you a little bit about what I saw actually happen one night, though. Uh, I was in this TV station and, and uh, I had a late show. I, I used to do a lot of television, and I had my own TV show. And uh, we were, I was working late that night with a, with another guy, an engineer, and we were editing some stuff I was going to use on the show, which was to be shown the next night. And so I wasn't on the air. I was just around there, and I was in the editing room. And uh, here was the television station now. They've got the late movie on, and it's Eddie Arnold. And uh, Eddie Arnold's riding around on his horse and playing his guitar, and he's got this clothespin on his nose, and he's singing about the Red River Valley and stuff. And there's a real, real turkey. See, so uh, <laughs> and whenever, whenever it's funny when you're in a television station, and the the movies are on, uh, nobody watches them. You just see them on the screen. You just see this flickering thing going on. And after a while, you don't even. It's like music, you know. It's a visual music. Just a lot of flickers on the screen. One thing, not a, and the, you don't watch it at all. And you also get a sense in the television station. Now, this is eerie. I don't think this has ever been reported, but you get a sense in the television station sometimes that nobody is watching it at all. I mean, you, you really do. It's, it, it's, it's an eerie sensation, and you know they're not, and there isn't anybody watching. That's the truth, see? And so this film is just going on and on and on. And, and this film was, was shot, and it looked like Italian home movie film itself. It's like some kind of an odd-sized film that had been shrunken down to 16 millimeter and then blown up to 35 and then shrunken down to 16 again and had been translated from the original Greek. And uh, it was just a real bad scene. And it had wows all of it. You'd hear the, he's talking, oh, it went that way. And uh, you'd see the cloud of dust. And it was filled with nothing but stagecoaches going back and forth all the time with a crowd of horses chasing it. And, uh, you know, that kind of movie. And it was late at night. And I was in the next room editing film. And uh, they had a, uh, that, we had a log, you see. The log tells what's going to be on the station. And uh, I was in there. Watching the watching the monitor just with one eye because I knew I was I was watching it to figure out what time it was. I was using it as a clock, you see, rather than watching the picture. 
and you could tell that the picture was coming to an end. The posse was galloping through the gulch there, and Eddie Arnold was leading Roy Rogers and, and the Dick Ferran, and all these guys were galloping over the back lots of MGM, and you could see, yeah, once in a while, if you look real carefully, when you're in television, you see these films so many times, you can see all kinds of wild stuff that nobody ever notices when they see it just once. Like you see him galloping along, and all of a sudden you see a big high-tension wire in the background. You know, this was the 1840. And, uh, then you see him gallop in another direction, and you see in the distance just the glint of the sun shining on the top of a gas, a big gas tower, you know, someplace, you know, off in the distance in MGM there. And uh, so they're galloping around doing this bad movie, and you can see it's coming to an end. And uh, sure enough, the movie comes to an end. Out comes the ID. And uh, the announcer, an old buddy of mine, he's in the next room in the announce booth, and he makes the he makes the break, and you hear him half asleep. And uh, he reads the five-minute news they had, you know, picture that says news on it, and he reads the news. And then he says, and now a, uh, he broadcast a, a special film as a public service. Well, I, I looked on the log to see what it was. And they had these, uh, you know, remember when they used to have these films like... Uh, the Big Picture. You remember that? Or uh, Victory at Sea, that kind of thing. It's special service. Sea. And uh, sure enough, it goes... And it's, you know, that usual uh, produced by the Signal Corps. And on came the name of the film. And I glanced up. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. They are putting on that great film that I had seen every six months by Army Law when I was in the Army. I couldn't believe it. It's on our television station. See, coming out of the monitor. And at first, I didn't think this monitor was on the air. I thought, you know, what is this? And it's going... And on comes this white thing. It says, a U.S. Army signal call film. Confidential. Signal core film number 6, SJ7GT. And then it faded out, and on comes Lewis Stone. You remember Lewis Stone? He always played Judge Hardy, the Hardy family. And there he is looking very distinguished, and he it's the same film. And he's got this uniform with the eagles. And he opens up the film by saying, Men, as an officer of the Army's Medical Corps, it is my duty to tell you and to illustrate to you some facts of life. I said, No kidding, they're coming out with television. And sure enough, he turns around and he pulls down that, that, that shade. You know, they had one of these maps, these charts like they have in classrooms. He pulls it down and there it is on the television screen. I look into the next room, and here's the engineer sitting back there, and he's picking his teeth, see? And he's not even watching the film. He's cued it all up, and he's put it on. And I hollered into the next room. I said, Bob! Bob! Hey, Bob! Look what you got on the... Bob, take a look at your monitor! And just then, I could see the phones are lighting up. For blocks around, the phones are lighting at people, and the elevator operator is screaming because she's the only other one on the station yelling, what's happening? And all these people are calling. I picked up one of the phones to see what they were saying, and some guy says, hey, man, hey, man, you guys are, you guys are really doing it. You got 
Oh, no, Paul. It's funny here. Well, it was only one thing to do. Brazen it through. We played the whole film. And after that, the announcer came in and said, the preceding was sent to you as a public service. And now, time for the Daily Reverie with our transcribed member of the clergy. And I'll just tell you, it, uh, you could just hear it. And here's what was so fascinating. Halfway through the film, you felt that, that tenseness in the air in the television station that all of a sudden, we got listeners. We got viewers. You could just see people all over town waking up. I went up on the top floor and I looked up. I could see lights coming on the houses all over. People are calling each other up. Quick, look at Channel 4. Holy smokes, it's on there. Well, this is not the first time, friends, that a stag film has gotten on TV. In fact, I know one guy who, his hobby, he was an engineer, see, and he used to do a lot of film editing. And he had this stag film, see, and he would edit into into things like, uh, say, uh, Shirley Temple films, and Fiona Durbin films. He would edit, like, three frames that would go past so fast that nobody would believe they'd seen it. They would say, I'm, I'm, I must be flipping. It's me. I'm getting sick. What a sick mind. <laughs> he would stick these in the films. And nobody ever called him. No, but I, we did notice one thing, though. The rating on our Saturday afternoon films went up fantastically. I mean, in spite of the fact that they were all old Deanna Durbin movies. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things under the sun, friends. Just keep your eyes open, keep your knees loose, and, uh, you know, somebody may hit a fly ball out there to right field after all. You'll make a foot out of it.